Am I on? There I am. Okay. Well, <laughs> imagine this. We're going to do Peter again. <laughs> um, the series that we've been uh, following is, you know, Peter and his life and all the changes that have gone on in, in him as a person and in his understanding of what the gospel is about and his relationship with Jesus Christ. And we started out with Peter being called by Jesus and then a couple of situations um, in Peter's life, the one whenever he walked on the water and, you know, Jesus had uh, said, if it's you, P had said to Peter, had said to Jesus, if it's you, Lord, you know, bid me come unto you. And so Peter jumps out of the boat and walks to him on water. And one of the other occasions that we spoke about was after the resurrection that uh, Jesus is the Sea of Galilee and, you know, they couldn't, you know, they fished all night and didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, put the net on the other side, and wow, there was um, more fish than they could hardly drag into the boat and drag ashore. And that's where Peter challenged, or Jesus challenged Peter, and, you know, do you love me? And then, of course, last week we had spoken about Pentecost and how that Peter and the other disciples were in the upper room and they had waited. And where we left last week was Peter... Uh, was giving an explanation of what had taken place and how that the, the individuals from Jerusalem were coming, had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and they were from different towns and communities throughout the region. And on Pentecost, they were, this sound of a mighty rushing wind came, and they spoke in languages that they didn't know, and the people from these different communities came. And they heard the sound, and then they heard these individuals speaking in their own languages and explaining the glory and the power of God. And after all of that took place, they were wondering what had happened. And Peter stood up and he began to speak. And he preached about how that this was in relationship to what the prophet um, had spoken to them and the prophet Joel had spoken to them. And how that and he began to exhort to them about Jesus Christ and how he... So suddenly Peter has changed. The coming of the Spirit and the, the, the understanding of what Jesus had been teaching him and all, all this kind of came to this moment in time in which Peter now stands up and declares to the people what is going on. And it's very interesting if you do like a character study and the progression of what goes on with Peter. He is this individual that has just totally... Um, done a 180. I won't say a 360. People always say, well, no, they did a complete 360. Well, if you do a complete 360, you're going the same direction you were before. <laughs> so if you're going to do a 180, you turn and go in a different direction. And so Peter has done a 180. The, the um, crucifixion of, of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and, and it, it all came together at Pentecost for Peter. It all began to make sense. When God came into his life and, and the power of the Spirit came into upon Peter, it just gave him a complete sense of direction, of new direction. Um, do you have that upper room? This is uh, a picture of the upper room. Now, it was in the 13th century, this was rebuilt. So it's not the actual upper room where the disciples were. An upper room uh, denotes the Last Supper. So it is in this place that was, and now archaeologists say that, that it's very likely that this building, this room, is built upon the actual 
rooms of what was the upper room. And uh, so this is, um, I remember being here and uh, singing in that room. Can you imagine that, me singing? Uh, but uh, we, as a group, we did a, a bus tour and, you know, from, from uh, the Johnstown area went over. And I'd like to do that maybe in a year or two, in the, next, in the summer or two. So start saving your money <laughs> and we'll, we'll go to Israel for, uh, for a week. I don't know what it costs now, but back then it was about $1,800 or $1,200 or something. And it was a complete tour. So anyhow, that was an uh, airfare from New York City. So anyhow, we were there and uh, uh, underneath this building, it's a second floor upper room, and underneath this building is what is considered David's tomb. And they have, if, if, if you go on the internet, you can see where there is this place where um, uh, a casket area type thing, sarcophagus is the right word, and which they believe might be David's tomb. And of course, they have no evidence for that. But in the scripture, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, says, Dear friends, let me be completely frank with you. Our ancestor David is dead and buried. His tomb is in plain sight today. So as we think of these words, that the upper room and David's tomb are very much together. And in Israel today, the upper room is the place that you just saw there, and right underneath that is a place that is considered David's tomb. And so when Peter is standing up and speaking, he's speaking right outside of the building, right outside of perhaps what was this room, and it is in that place he's addressing the individuals who are have come to Jerusalem and have come to this place of the upper room and they have heard this mighty sound and Peter is explaining to them what has happened. And he says, But being also a prophet and knowing that God had solemnly sworn that a descendant of his would rule his kingdom, seeing far ahead, he talked of the resurrection of the Messiah. No trip to Hades, no stench of death, this Jesus God raised up. So he begins now to speak about what has happened and how that Pentecost had come. And now he was drawing attention of the group and to the people why Jesus had to die. Why Jesus had come and Jesus as God come to earth, incarnation, God became man, that God died. And this was part, God came here to die for our sins. And this became part of God's plan. So we, saw, we find how Peter is just, you know, changed. You know, the transition has taken place in Peter's life from the crucifixion, the night, this upper room, Last Supper. This Last Supper, this room, could have been a really difficult place for Peter to be. Peter could have been in that upper room and remembered, this is where I told Jesus, I'll never forsake you. I'll protect you from, from people dying. And Jesus says, Peter, tonight the, the rooster's not going to crow. The rooster will crow three times. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter could have been so caught up with that, he would have missed out on what Pentecost had to offer. But Jesus took him through that night at the Sea of Galilee when they had been out all night fishing and caught nothing, 
And they came in and they saw Jesus and he had prepared for them fish and bread and he served them. And then he asked them, Peter, do you love me? Did that three times. It was almost in reminiscing what had happened that night at the crucifixion. Now, Peter is back at this room, back at this place called the upper room, the place where they probably served communion and Jesus instituted the, the Eucharist and the Last Supper. And it is there that Peter is waiting for God to empower him and the others, 120. And it's there that the Spirit of God comes upon them. They, you know, this empowering comes upon Peter. And then in verse uh, 36, he says, All Israel, this is Peter now, it's talking to the same group. He says, All Israel then know this. There is no longer room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on the cross. So Jesus now, I mean, Peter now sees what Jesus had come to do. He had come to save the people from their sins. He had come to um, bring in the new kingdom. See, again, Peter and most of the other disciples were thinking Jesus was going to set up a kingdom like David. Now, it's, you know, is it any stretch, you know, the imagination? There's David buried right there in that same place. And they thought Jesus was going to come and set up a kingdom like David's. But David died. Jesus had come to set up a kingdom that would never die. Imagine that. Here is everything, you know, right there in this, this place, called the upper room and the tomb of David, and Peter preaching, and all of this symbolism and all these events that had transpired within this little group, this little, this, uh, little area, you know, that they're standing in, Peter thought, I'm going to be Jesus' right-hand man, just like David had a kingdom, Jesus has a kingdom. But Jesus died. Pentecost came. Peter has a whole different concept. And he begins to tell the people, it's Jesus whom you crucified. Then we have in, um, it goes on, and the people responded, brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? So when Peter is preaching and Peter is telling them what has happened and he tells them, you crucified Jesus, the people then began to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, we, we find out later that there were thousands added to the church that day. What happens is most of the people had heard or seen Jesus. They had heard of him as a teacher, as a Messiah. They had heard about him and the miracles that he had done. Perhaps even some of them had been present at some of the miracles that Jesus had, had performed. And when they heard uh, Jesus being preached by Peter, they responded and said that, that he is the Messiah. He isn't like David, the king that's laying in the tomb. He is like the Messiah that we have been expecting. And they believed and they were added to church. And so when, when Peter, they said, Gee, you know, uh, what do we have to do to be saved is in the King James Version. Peter says in verse 38, change your life, turn to God and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Turn to God. 
the first thing that we do in our life is turn our life over to God. And then he goes on and says, be baptized. Baptism is the same baptism that we do today um, at, at the Pritz. <laughs> you know, we have baptismal service in the, in the summertime, not in the wintertime, but in the summertime, we have a baptismal service in their pool. It's the same baptismal service, basically, as what we do today, is what Peter is telling them to do right here in this verse, to be baptized, each of you. And you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So there is, there is this understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is not a dead king. He is a risen Lord. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive God into your life by the Spirit of Christ. Receive that Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that makes real to you Jesus is alive. So when, the, when they are preaching about Jesus, when Peter is telling them about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is there working in the lives of people. And they begin to sense in the spirit of Christ, in the spirit of, uh, of the Holy Spirit, they begin to sense what they felt when Jesus was speaking to them. Jesus is alive. And whenever we pray, whenever we are asking God to be with us, we, whenever we sing the songs and worship and whenever we enter, there is a sense of God coming into our life. There's a sense of God being there. And it's the same spirit that was there at Pentecost. It's the same spirit that worked in the lives of the people when Peter was preaching to them. It's the same Holy Spirit that works in our lives to bring us to this realization that Christ is in us that we are forgiven. Receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you. Okay, this is an important verse. The promise is targeted to you and your children. Peter is speaking to the individuals that are there. The promise of God is to you individuals who are hearing me. It's here to you and to your children. But it is also to all who are far away. That's us. Far away doesn't mean in another country, far away is in time and years and sequence of centuries, that it is the same thing. The target is for you, your children, to those who are far away, us, whomever, in fact, our master God invites. Everyone God invites to come into the kingdom of God, and this is what happens. The power of God comes and saves them from their sins. He went on in this vein for a long time. That's like when pastor forgets about the time and he preaches to about 12.30. He went on in this vein for a long time. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> you've all been there. So what happened, that's what happened. P Peter began to teach and preach and he just kept on going. Um. He urged them over and over, get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> get out of this sick and stupid culture. <laughs> Separate from the sins of your culture. 
Remember we thought, we, we spoke, you know, whenever it says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are not of the world, that which is anti-God. We're not of that world. Don't become part of that stupid culture that is against God. Don't be part of that stupid culture because you'll destroy yourself. And he says here, be part of what Jesus Christ. And that day about 3,000 took him at his word. 3,000 people accepted Jesus Christ and were baptized in water under, under the inspiration of what Peter was telling them at that moment. 3,000 people came to believe in Jesus Christ that day as a risen Messiah, as a risen Savior. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles that Peter and the others now began to see what Jesus intended in his stories, in his teachings, in his ministry, in the miracles, they began to understand now what Jesus had said. This is kind of like us, me. There is, a, you know, like Peter, there was a progression from when he was called to when he jumped out of the boat and walked on water to when he, after the crucifixion, Jesus confronted him, Peter, do you love me? After the ascension, Jesus says to them, go and wait and tarry in Jerusalem. You see, there was a progression in Peter's life. There was a progression going on in his understanding of what Jesus was trying to do. And it's that same progression that continues to go on and grow on in us. Um, verse 43, everyone around was in awe. All those wondered and all those, all those wonders and signs done through the apostles. There were miracles being performed by the apostles just like was being done by Jesus. So there was this confirmation that what Jesus had been doing in the, in the region, his spirit inside of the apostles was able to do for people again. The miracles didn't stop. The teaching didn't stop. It was part of their religion. And our, in our Sunday school lesson today, it talked about religion in the Jewish culture wasn't something that was separate from them as individuals. Religion was very much a part of their everyday culture, of their everyday setting. No matter what they did, it was all part of their system. You know, what they did in the morning for breakfast and lunch and work and everything, their, their faith and their religion was all together. It was very much intermixed. It wasn't separated. Well, um... The believers lived in harmony and holding everything in common, and they followed a daily discipline, a discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, and every meal was a celebration, exuberant and joyful and praising God. It was a wonderful time to be alive. It was just a great time to experience what God was doing. And then chapter 3. It was a wonderful time going on, Okay. One day, we don't know how many days after this, but one day, chapter 3, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way to the temple. They were going there for prayer. Jewish culture, 9, 3, and at dusk, 
there was a time for prayer. So Peter and John, now Peter has a brother that's a disciple. John has a brother that's a disciple. But Peter and John have kind of teamed up at this point. <laughs> Talk about opposites attracting. <laughs> Peter is this, you know, you know, exuberant character, and John is this reserved, you know, easygoing character. And Peter and John are together, and they're going to the temple for prayer. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day, he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. So, Peter and John going to the temple. They're going to go through this temple gate. This temple gate was a very common gate that, that was used in people entering into the temple. Okay, the gate called Beautiful. And it was where the most people went through, and that was a good place to beg. <laughs> now, you know, in that society, if you couldn't work, as this beggar could not, he was, he was crippled from his youth, and if he was going to be sustained, there was no public services to take care of him. So he would be carried by friends or family to the gate, and he would depend upon pious, religious people to give to him as they were going into the temple. Well, when, Pe when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout, his normal routine. He would ask of people going into the temple for alms for the poor, alms for himself. Can you help me out here? Well, when he saw Peter and John, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, look here. The beggars, one of the ideas was that they would never make eye contact. Eye, eye contact was not nothing that a beggar would make with a higher person of, uh, of status in the society. Look here, Peter demanded. Look here. And he looked up expecting to get something from them. Peter says, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter, boisterous, in your face, Peter, walking into the gate, Here's a guy who says, can you give me some money? Help me out here. Peter says, I don't, have, I don't have a nickel to give you. But what I have, he reached out. And, and, the, and the key here, I think, is in the name. And he says this, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You see, all of this is about Jesus. If we jump on down to, um, where is it here? In verse 12, he says, O Israelites, why does this take you so much, so, so, by such complete surprise? Why stare at us as if our power or piety made him walk? You see, when Peter reaches out to this individual and says, Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, 
the name of Jesus. See, Jesus is not a dead Savior. He is a risen Lord. And whenever we pray, notice that whenever I pray, what do we always end up with? What do we always say? In Jesus' name. What does that mean? Well, whenever we say the name of an individual, especially in this case, especially, we are drawing upon the character and, the, and, and everything that that name represents. Now, say, um, <laughs> say that I was um, extremely, extremely wealthy. I am. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, <laughs> all the gold and the silver belong to him. And uh, he's going to transfer some of that wealth into my system, but not just yet. So anyhow, <laughs> so anyhow, just say that we have all of this wealth, okay? We have all this wealth. Nikki, come on up here. I'm glad you're here. I can pick on you. <laughs> ah, come on down, Nikki. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you glad you came? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do it this way. Nikki is very wealthy. All of the wealth and uh, uh, the, she's just extremely wealthy. And so what she did is she has, an she has established an account in every store in town. But every store in town. Yeah, there's only three. Every store in town <laughs> has an account with Nikki's name on it. Now, Brian, sure, come on up. Now, Brian goes to a store. Pick a store, any store. Dollar General. Dollar General, okay. <laughs> Brian goes to Dollar General, and he gets a whole sharping, sharping, <laughs> shopping cart full of, of goods, and he goes and he checks out, and when he's checking out, he says, in the name of Nikki, pay for this. And, he, and what happens? The person says, oh, fine and writes it off. He takes all the goods out, and it's all paid for. Thank you. Thank you. See? <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> Nikki has an account there. Hmm. Okay, you can be seated. Wasn't that easy? Wasn't that easy? She has an account there. When we pray in the name of Jesus, Jesus has an account there. Now, in, in the illustration that we had, Nikki doesn't have to show up. He just has to use her name. But whenever we pray in the name of Jesus, Jesus shows up. At every prayer, at every point. See, when, and as we read on in that scripture, we found that Peter is telling them, why are you so amazed at what has taken place? Why are you so amazed that this has happened? looking at us as if we have done this. And P see, Peter, you know, Peter has changed because just a, a few days, maybe three months earlier, Peter is saying to Jesus, Jesus says, Peter, excuse me, Peter says to Jesus, when you're old, they're going to bind your hands and take you where you don't want to go and, and, you know, and, and Jesus said, this is speaking of the death that you're going to have and Peter says, well, what about John? What's going to happen to him? Now, 
Peter has changed from that type of a person to, like, you're looking at me as if I have done this? I didn't do this. I am, what I am doing here is in the name of Jesus. His character, his life is still alive. Jesus shows up and he's doing these very same, he's doing the miracles he always did, but he's doing them through us in his name. So you don't look at us, you look at Jesus. And the account that Jesus has established that his blood that was shed on the cross is the blood that washes away our sin. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That the blood of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross is our salvation for our sins. By his stripes we are healed. The healing that God has for us and that's why we pray for individuals who are sick. The healing that God has for us is on the stripes that he took upon himself that we might be well from our Ill illness. The resurrection life comes from the resurrection of Christ. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal bodies. In Jesus' name, I pray. And that prayer is not about me. It's not about how good I am. is isn't about whether I've been, you know, whether I got money or don't have money, whether I'm a really good person. Or, in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter says, rise up and walk. So, Everybody, and then he goes on to tell the people, and Peter, well, first of all, the guy, what does he do? He jumps up. This guy has been lame. He's never walked in his life. He's never walked in his life. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus. And what happens? What happens to the guy? What's go, go scroll on grabbed him by the right hand, pulled him up, and in an instant his feet and ankles became firm, and he jumped. <laughs> he jumped to his feet. He didn't have to learn balance. He didn't have to learn how to walk. He jumped to his feet, and the man went into the temple walking back and forth, dancing. <laughs> I mean, he is just ecstatic. He's never walked in his life before. But in the name of Jesus... The same Jesus who went around healing the blinded eyes, who brought, rose the people, rose, called people back from the dead, is the same Jesus that Peter is saying brought healing to him. And when everybody came around and said they were rubbing their eyes like, we've seen this guy before. He's never walked before. He was in such poor condition, he couldn't even stand up. His legs and his ankles and his feet, everything were such deterioration, he couldn't walk. Never could he walk. Look at him now. And Peter begins, why do you look at me? It's not about us. John and I, it's about Jesus. And every time that we pray, every time that we ask in Jesus' name, 
We are bringing the character, the person of Jesus Christ to this moment, to this need, and we're asking him to touch them. Every time we pray. Every time we pray. It's not about me. Do I deserve this? I've been bad. I've been good. It's about Jesus. And every time we pray in Jesus' name, our attention doesn't go to us, doesn't go to the need. It goes to Jesus to show up in all of his character, in all of his glory, in all of his power, in all of his grace and mercy to touch that person through you, through your prayer, through your words, through your love. He touches them. Amen? Shall we stand? So whenever we say that little phrase, do we, and we begin to understand what's going on when we pray. We see a need. God is stirring our hearts to pray so that he can move through us, through our prayers, to touch that person. So we've been praying for Megan, this beautiful little girl in the wheelchair. She needs her. She needs a divine touch. But so do the other people that you remember and you pray for and your family and friends. We don't build it up by saying, well, you know, she's a, she's a lovely little girl. She's been good. She's been had these problems. She's No. Jesus doesn't look at the background. He is moved by our faith. And so, Lord... It's not about whether we deserve it or don't deserve it. It's not whether they've been good or bad. God, in Jesus' name, we pray for Megan. Say the name that you've been praying for. Say their name out loud if you like. Say their name. In Jesus' name, we pray for Jesus, we believe that you will be there to touch them, to heal them, to restore them. God, whatever is needed at this moment of time, we pray, Lord, it isn't about the silver and the gold. It's about your spirit flowing through us. Touch these lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen means, even so, let it be as I have said. Even so, let it be as we have said. Let this happen as we have prayed. And the prayer, not about us, it's about Jesus. Amen? So when we pray, Remember, it's just like Peter there in the garden, there going into the temple. Don't look at me. 
look at Jesus. Amen? God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.